Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor, Stone Payton here with another episode of GSU ENI Radio, broadcasting live from the Georgia State University's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute, Stone. Hey, man, we're hitting the home stretch now. It's like episode four. We've been here all day. We've caught up with some old friends, made some new ones. I just absolutely love broadcasting live from down here at the uh, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute here at Georgia State University. It's uh, I feel younger every, every time we do this. Yeah, people are doing amazing things. They are. And this segment is going to be no exception. Please join me in welcoming to this episode Legal Studies Professor with GSU Robinson College of Business and Company Consultant with Binder Law Training, Mr. Perry Binder. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Lee and Stone. It's great to be here. Well, Perry, can you tell us some of your work? Uh, how are you serving the folks here at GSU? Well, I'm entering my 20th year here. Wow. You were here before it was cool. <laughs> it's, uh, it was cool then. It's cool. It's even cooler now. I'm a former practicing lawyer. I uh, used to be a litigator. And I've been in Robinson now for a long time teaching undergrad and grad students more like the practical real-world aspects of law and what business people need to know about law. As a litigator, I always see when people come in at the end when there's a problem, I like to reach business people at the beginning to make sure that they do everything right so they don't wind up in trouble at the end. So now that's an important component. You know, entrepreneurs a lot of times lead with their product and their idea, and they don't worry about kind of the legal stuff until later on. And you, you find that, right? Absolutely. My message for students when dealing with lawyers, if you listen to the lawyers all the time, we know they are risk-averse animals. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the lawyers all the time, you'll never get any business done. Right. But if you never listen to the lawyers – then you're going to get into all sorts of trouble. So somewhere, somehow, they have to find that fine line to say to the lawyers, shut up. You know, I got to get business done. Where that, <laughs> where that line is, that's for them. That's a very tricky line for them to navigate. Because a lot of times uh, it's easier for a lawyer to recommend no action or saying no or not pursuing something. That's a safer route, usually. We call lawyers deal breakers. Lawyers are the ones that gum up the system. When... The lawyers propose a five-page contract when it could really be done in a much more business-friendly way. That's what lubricates it. So sometimes the lawyers have to step out of the way so business people can get things going. So now how do you recommend uh, entrepreneurs kind of leverage an attorney to help protect them, but also to help deals get done? Well, here's the good news on campus. So we've got lots of legal studies people who teach law classes. So that's the good news. The bad news is we cannot give legal advice. Um, So that's a very frustrating thing. So instead of giving legal advice, we give real-world projects where here are four of you together. You all have different interests here. How do you write a shareholder's agreement for your own personal interest? Realistically, you cannot hire four attorneys to do this stuff. Realistically, you can't even hire one attorney if if you're a student at school. So I have a project where I give them $500, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. How would you protect your business based on only $500? And there is stuff that they can do, uh, but really just to be able to get them together and learn this stuff at the outset rather than trouble at the end. Now, what about those some like solutions like a legal Zoom or some of these online kind of it makes it seem like it's inexpensive way to handle legal work? 
what's your recommendation in that area? LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer, they're very interesting uh, uh, creations because um, here's an example. You know, lawyers should never do their own work, but I actually did my own will through LegalZoom, made one or two mistakes, and they have attorneys on the other side who will fix it and send it back to you. So in the absence of um, an attorney, LegalZoom and Rocket Mortgage, not a bad option. Um, but obviously having your own attorney would be the best way to go. So uh, in a hierarchy, that would be, that's better than you trying to figure it out and yourself. I agree. But if you're an entrepreneur, our students are not entrepreneurs with a garage. They're entrepreneurs with no garage. They can't even afford a garage. (laughs) So they may not even be in the space where they could afford LegalZoom. Uh So they're going to have to figure out how to piece this together by themselves. But you're right. That would be a better layer than just doing it yourself. And then do you see uh, mistakes that entrepreneurs make regarding kind of legal documents and protection? Again, so being a former litigator, I was always there at the end when problems came up, when the disputes should have been held at the beginning and getting it down in writing. But what's an example of a problem that you would see? Um, People who claim that they have a copyright to something, uh, never commit it to paper, never file it, and then have an argument over it. Like they said verbally that they had this or they thought they had this? Yeah, I, I created 75% of this material. Well, down the road when something becomes valuable, you know, who actually owns this? Right. So then um, what are some steps like you mentioned, um, you know, getting a lawyer, but if you had four, like here, there's four people right now in this interview and we're, we're going to start a company and we say, okay, well, everybody's got a 25% share. Is that okay? We can just write that down on a sheet of paper and that's that has some level of protection but there are more layers to it um who's who's putting best efforts in who's putting full time in? like how do you get rid of one of them like say i'm i'm not i'm a slacker <laughs> and you're one of you're like hey we gotta get rid of lee this guy's not pulling his weight there's got to be a termination clause and if there are shares involved um are you being thrown out are you leaving on your own we have good levers and bad levers there are a lot of clauses that we go over class that deal with this stuff so, you know, there are some things up front that people really have to know. Number one, get things in writing. Number two, um, make sure if you have a company name that you do a very thorough trademark search. Mm-hmm. Now, a very thorough search will cost thousands of dollars. Hiring an attorney to do a federal search, go through all 51 state um, databases. <clears throat> we in class do a federal search. We do a state of Georgia search. And instead of paying tons of money to do the federal protection, which would be better, we at least get them to get a state trademark so they show up somewhere in a database. So before incorporating, do a very thorough search because if you incorporate brand, do stuff, and somebody else owns that trademark, you're going to have to rebrand all over again. So what about the person thinks like, oh, I got the URL to it, so I'm good? All bad, you know, as we know. So – there are many levels to checking stuff out. So obviously doing a Google search, gobbling up domain names, doing a federal search and a Georgia search. And then if you're really, really confident, then maybe go ahead and get your corporate name. The takeaway is having a corporate name does not confer trademark rights. Oh, really? So then they, but they think some people think that that does. That's a huge uh, misconception that business people have. Now, what about uh, intellectual property? How do you protect your intellectual property? Give you the good news and the bad news. It's very easy to protect your intellectual property. Um, Copyright forms are very easy. Trademark forms are very easy on the state side, a little more complicated on the federal side. 
patents, which are kind of on the way down, they're very complicated and you need an attorney. So to really incorporate, let's say there's no patent involved, it may cost you five to $20,000 to do everything right internationally with an attorney. But again, we're at Georgia State working with very hungry entrepreneurs, and we don't have that luxury. But that is something that an entrepreneur, if you start getting traction, you should be investing in some protection of some kind, right? Absolutely. If you've got something that's novel that you're doing, very important to try to visit a patent attorney to see if it's something worthwhile. But one thing people ignore is how commercially viable is this? Um, getting patents for the sake of patents, not a good idea. So what we do is we want to see if it's commercial, if it's commercialized, if it's something that's going to make business, and then we talk about possibly patenting. So now, is your primary work now as a professor, or you still do consulting? Full-time as a professor, I do training. I'll go into companies, I'll go into law firms, I'll do training on contracts, intellectual property, social media for uh, people at work, harassment, discrimination, stuff like that. So now, uh, regarding social media, that's a tricky subject for a lot of business people, right? Because now, how do you, um, I don't want to use the word control, but how do you kind of protect yourself from something an employee might say, and if they're saying they're with your company and they say it personally, like how do you make that distinction in the social media? That's an amazing question. Um, most companies now have what we call a social media policy. It would be crazy for you to say to all your employees, both at business and at home, you can't post anything on right. there. Um, lots of businesses are getting in trouble because they think, oh, we've only hired at-will employees who can be fired for any reason. But what companies really don't know is that there is speech protection for employees if they're complaining about wages or uh, working conditions in a way to reach out to others. So there have been many cases where at-will employees get their job back and get damages because employers don't really know how to write proper social media policies and enforce them correctly. So now, again, this is a, a new world now, right? Absolutely. And then so if you're not proactively protecting yourself, you could be bit by this and you wouldn't even know this existed, some, some companies, right? A lot of companies. So obviously speaking to a specialized attorney in that area would be a great idea for businesses. So now if you were an entrepreneur out there listening and you were saying, okay, it's hard enough to figure out how to make my business work, at what point are you saying, you know what, you should talk to a lawyer, at least have a build a relationship with a lawyer, and then you might not have to engage them full on, but at least get some relationship going so that in case you do need them down the road, it would be worthwhile. Absolutely. So, you know, those tips would be valuable. One, get things in writing. Number two, check out the trademark before you incorporate. I'll give you a number three. Um, so let's say I design a logo for you. Mm -hmm. You and I don't have a fancy contract. I'll do the logo. You pay me $400. Right. Who owns the intellectual property to that logo? I bet you know. I might know. <laughs> I know my students know. Um, so unless we have some kind of fancy thing in writing, which is very small, called a work-for-hire agreement, if we don't have that, I actually still own that logo. You have the right to use it. So the third major tip for businesses is if you have somebody design something for you, make sure you have a contract that it's called work for hire. Those are magic words. And there are very easy forms out there which talk about ownership of the intellectual property and stuff. Huge. And then, but when you're saying that, like, say you did our logo here and I paid you $400. So you're saying I have the right to use it. Yes. At the minimum. 
but that's all. That's where my rights end. But I own it. So the, what does own it mean? So like next year you can say, well, it's time for rent for my logo. You you can use it for as long as your business is going on. But depending on what I want to do is maybe I'll use it for something else. But if I have the trademark for it, it doesn't matter. You still can use it. Let's just get this in writing. <laughs> Work for hire agreement. Um, that's the tip. Right. You know, you, you've trademarked it. You've had the right to use it in that business, in that space. Mm-hmm. But I actually own it. Just to make it a little lively, so famous people who have tattoos, who uh, go on music videos, uh, NBA 2K, which uses the tattoos of players on the images, all these companies are getting in trouble because there's no agreement with the tattoo artist that they'll be displayed without their permission. Right. So very smart attorneys and agents are telling all their clients – it's okay to get the tattoo. We're not going to stop you. But whoever the artist is, they have to sign this piece of paper that I'm going to give you. Again, the value of having an attorney. Right. And, and then and then another challenge to that is how about if they tattoo like a, a logo of somebody else, like a famous character, a cartoon character or something. That brings up even trickier things. That's, right. that's pretty funny. So, again, they own the artwork, but um, – are they portraying this person? Right, like they don't know Mickey Mouse. Right, right. And if they're actually copying something like that, then they're going to get in trouble too. Right, wow. It just everything. How, how, how did we get to tattoos from uh, the Robinson College of <laughs> that Business? That was on you. That, you brought up the tattoos. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> so now, um, who'd you bring with you today? Ah, we've got some star students here. I've got Eleanor Fox and Brian Gerard. Okay, so who do you want to start with? That's up to you. All right. Let's start with Eleanor. We'll work our way around the room. So uh, what's your involvement with uh, Perry? Um, I, Get in there, lean, and you got to bring the mic to sorry. you. Hello. I promise you it'll work better. The mic goes, move it closer. Okay. All right. So I've actually taken three classes with Perry. Three? Yes. Keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> including um, internet law. So mm-hmm. that's the class that we had, the entrepreneurship aspect in it um, with all of the shareholders, agreements, projects, and stuff like that. Now, are you an entrepreneur? Like, what's your major? Um, I'm actually a business economics major. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually help my family run a small business. So I wasn't the entrepreneur, but I help the entrepreneurs who started that business. And you're um, helping fix all the problems that they're screwing up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With my education that I've gotten at this school, um, I've actually helped them bring in some new knowledge and tips about... You scared them? <laughs> Probably saved them <laughs> a ton much. of money, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah actually. Well, what's some of the things you brought to them? Um, well, we actually, they had just become an LLC, a limited liability company. Um, but they didn't really know what that entailed as far as like, they knew that that absolved them of liability, um, personally, but they didn't know exactly how that played into all their taxes and stuff like that. So with a limited liability corporation, you actually end up getting taxed double many times because you get taxed on your personal income statement and through the corporation. But um, as far as lawsuits go, all the lawsuits will then go to your LLC and not you if anything were to happen in your company. Um, So as far as the tax goes, I think that it definitely pays for itself. So it's a kind of a a risk reward. You're deciding what's more important. Yeah, definitely. And then they went LLC because you recommended it? Yeah, well, they actually just gone LLC. So then, they, but they were really confused and upset about their taxes. So, <laughs> yeah, the unintended consequences, pretty much. And then, um, so what? What were the three classes you took with Perry? 
Um, well, the first one I took was um, just an intro class most business majors have to take called um, Legal and Ethical Environment of Business. Um, we just learned basic uh, legal knowledge for businesses in that class. And um, what's an example of some of the basics? Um, well, I'm sorry. I don't know. That, that was like two years ago, but <laughs> we learned a lot that we build on in other classes, such mm-hmm. as, um, as I was saying, we learned about, you know, different types of companies and how, um, the pros and cons, yeah, of, pros each and of, cons of each type of company and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, um, as you're learning more, do you see yourself becoming an entrepreneur or you're going to, um, I can't quite see myself becoming an entrepreneur because I'm planning on going into law. She's going to be a lawyer. I, <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I definitely like entrepreneurship. and I can definitely see myself doing that if I weren't to go into law. Um, I think my background in economics and even the marketing classes that I've taken in the business school have helped me um, if I wanted to go on that path. And so. you, you've learned a lot about social media? Oh, yeah, definitely. So any kind of words of wisdom you can share of some of the things you learned about how a company can deal with social media? Um, social media, as far as communicating with clients, right? Like how, Mm -hmm. what's the, maybe some best practices or some tips. Okay. So I would say the first one would to be definitely try to pick your outlets correctly for the audience that you want to reach. So every different social media outlet is going to have an audience, um, demographic that they most cater to, Mm -hmm. um, Facebook, for example, it is most people have a Facebook, but it also leans more towards the older demographic nowadays. Um, and Facebook a lot of times is really good with video content. If you want to post videos, you go on YouTube or Facebook. Um, but if you were leaning towards more of a younger crowd and you want to do more images, um, short blog posts, things like that, you might want to look into Instagram or Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then definitely if you have more, one or more of these, try to integrate these social media accounts with each other. So, um, if someone stumbles across your social media page and they don't have that outlet, they can click a link and find your and Instagram account. Yeah, and that. then they have access to the one that they prefer. So definitely integration on all your social media channels is very important and making sure that you speak to the right audience for which one you are posting on. Now, um, what about from a policy standpoint for if, if you have employees out there and you're going, okay, this is our company's Facebook page. If you want to, post something do you have to make some rules or like some policies around that to help you know protect the company and protect yourself yeah definitely so posting on the company's social media um i would definitely recommend only having one or two people posting on the official business page Mm -hmm. just because um we actually in my business have run into problems in the past where we had three four people that could run the account and then you know we would be some Somebody would respond to a message. The other person wouldn't have gotten the message from the client, so they they weren't in the loop. So I definitely think having one person running the social media and just relaying all the messages to the rest of the team um, is beneficial. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) So now um, in your work, when you're working with your family Mm -hmm. um, and you come and you say, hey, I just learned this thing. This might be uh, useful. Yeah. Are they like... Well, thank you, Eleanor. Well, that was saved the day. Or they're like, "Look, we're busy. We got this." Like, how are are they? Are they taking your advice? Yeah, actually, they are. Um, were you surprised? I was. For some reason, my family seems to trust me a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but usually, if I come in, I don't. I'm not. I don't try to micromanage anything. But um, 
I, I'm one of the main people who helps run the business. My aunt is the owner. And then me and my cousin are kind of the managers in different mm-hmm. ways. So you want to give a plug to the business or you, um, yes. So Smyrna gymnastics, we run out of Smyrna and we teach classes for ages, 18 months through 12, 18 months, 18 months. Yes. Really? Um, for those classes, I want to see the video of those 18 months or doing cartwheels it's or something. Super fun. Um, the parents usually stay for those classes. Of course, um, they want to see their 18 month old. Um, but we also go up to 12 years old. So any age group. Did you do gymnastics as a kid? I did. I was not very good. I'm much better on the instructor side of things, but I did. I came up through this business. It's it's a great business. We try to keep close contact with the people who come in and it's kind of a family there. And even if you're not going to be in the Olympics, I have two girls, they were both in gymnastics. One was had more natural talent than the other, Mm -hmm. but it was such a confidence builder and they became part of a team and they learned how to be part of a team. There's, there's so much to be gained. And that was about the age that both of them sort of got away from. It was maybe, you know, 12, 13, 14, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of really sport period, but I thought gymnastics was great for both of my girls. I think it's definitely great for building that confidence and um, just being able to use all of that pent up energy that they have for good, Um, especially the little boys that come in. Um, You know, gymnastics isn't a thing that little boys, you know, usually want to do, but when they do it, they like to, you know, run around and pretend like they're ninjas, but then we, we teach them how to do it without getting, without getting hurt. So So any website for them? Um, We actually just have a Facebook page. Mm We, um, do our business through a community center. So our website is through Smyrna community center, um, website, but we have our own Facebook page. And what is that? Smyrna gymnastics. Good stuff. Well, thank mm-hmm. you, Eleanor. Yeah, of course. All right. Next up on GSU ENI radio, got Brian Gerard. Yes, it is. Brian Gerard. All right, Brian, tell us, uh, what you got going on here at Georgia state or you're, you recently graduated. Yes. I recently graduated from Georgia state in May. And now I'm in my master's program in uh, information systems and do audit control. So then how do you know Perry? Um, I only had one class with Professor Binder, actually. But this is my second legal studies class I had at Georgia State. My first one was actually with Professor Grilecki. And in that course, we talked about a lot of um, law, career opportunities, and going to law school. And actually, that's one of the reasons I took pay bonus class in IT law because I got interested in a panel mm-hmm. where um, IT lawyers came and also um, some intellectual property lawyers came as well and spoke to us. And that resonated with you? Definitely. definitely. And what actually, part of that caught your interest? What really caught my interest was um, I'm actually, I have a technology background. My bachelor's actually in computer information systems. Mm-hmm. And right now with my master's, I'm looking to get audit control and audit control teaches a lot about policy and governance and that side of it. So, that's the reason it kind of resonated with me. And then, oh, sorry. It kind of resonated with me in that fact. And then a lot of, during that time too, they talked a lot about cybersecurity law. And that was another interest of mine. Yeah. So that was the, um, cybersecurity is important. Definitely. definitely. You got to get that right. Definitely. So that's why I took Professor, um, Biden's class and getting a lot of good info, info from it, just about privacy in general, just policies such as, um, GDPR in Europe and, like that. Right, because that's going to come here. Definitely. <laughs> well, not definitely, but we'll see. We'll see. So now, um, how has the GSU experience been for you? GSU experience has been great. Um, in the beginning, I was looking for a typical four-year 
you know, campus football mm-hmm. games on a weekend, basketball games. That so you, March, what, that's, that's what you I wanted it was? at first. Um, okay. I knew George State wouldn't be that actually. My brother actually was an alumni here. Mm-hmm. He came before and I just chose George State because they have a rolling admission process. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just applying late, getting in and then I was planning on transferring, ended up loving it and staying at all four years, just really started liking the professors, the CIS department, got really comfortable with them and just just getting a lot of good connections at the time. So now when you were in high school and you were deciding all the choices you could have made, you picked Georgia State, maybe because you were influenced your brother. Um, so actually I I played soccer uh-huh. really competitively for the, since I was eight years old. And I was planning on actually reclassing and going another year and playing soccer and trying to go play in college instead. But I ended up deciding to just go straight to college and uh-huh. pursue my undergrad instead. So now, uh, did you know you were going to be in computer science, or was that something you kind of so figured no, out once not. you... Yeah, when I first came, I wanted to be in film. Film. And then after that, for psychology, I was in Wow, you a, got a whole tour of the university, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was in a neuroscience lab at a time, and then I just realized that I wanted to... Um, a lot of that's theory, psychology, right. and then... I think the business side of it is a lot more concrete and focused. And that's what I really wanted to get into as well. And my brother, he's a um, risk manager. And my dad, he's an accountant. So most of my family's business anyway. Right. So I just thought, let me switch to CIS. Um, let me do it sooner than later. So I won't mess my credits. So then uh, you got involved. And then that program, is it giving you opportunities, maybe internships or kind of some real world experience? So definitely. Um, do this through the undergrad program, I actually got an internship at Georgia Tech, the research institute. So it's the nonprofit. So Georgia program. State gets you an internship at Georgia Tech? Yes. That's interesting. <laughs> Georgia Tech Research Institute is actually the nonprofit branch of Georgia Tech. And right. they do a lot of, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, DOD. Uh-huh, Department things. of Defense? Yes. They wow. do a lot of contracts with them. Um, that's really the main thing. And yeah, I've been, I was there since my freshman year. And been there ever since. Still now in my master's, I'm still right there. So now you learned um, for, through the legal classes, what were some of the big takeaways for you? So from, we'll go from Gorelicki's class. Gorelicki's, his mainly was the application process for law school and going down and becoming, pursuing the career path in law. That's what I gained from um, Professor Gorelicki's. Professor Binder's was more about saying, specific IT law. So how to protect your data, um, what the company has access to, what is their right, what is the federal and state legislation regarding the privacy of data and such mm-hmm. and such like that. And what is accept also by acceptable use policies, which is very useful because that's something that you're going to need to incorporate in the IT um, uh, an organization. And that's typically with the kind of, um, in conjunction with the IT office and also the lawyers as well. Right, because people maybe not, they don't realize how their personal information can be used exactly. when definitely. they sign up for something. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And that's a, a big issue nowadays. What is it you always say? If if, if if the product is free, you're the product? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, that's true, right? And definitely, after this class, I've definitely opened my eyes to like whenever I'm clicking on a site. They always not okay for cookies, all that stuff. Now, now I'm like really ad blockers, all that stuff. My thing, because I, I really don't like my pro, my personal data out there as much as. So like, you stop using Google. You use uh, no use Google. Duck, duck, go no, now. no, no, not that extreme. <laughs> not, not that extreme. That's too much. So I'm switching it up. Point here. <laughs> but that's something that people have to make choice. It's a choice you're making once Definitely. you go down. You know, if you're going to sign up for Facebook or you're going to use any of these social media, Definitely. then you're giving up something in return. Definitely. 
like um, one of my old friends just says, you never get anything. You never get nothing for something. Or you never get something, something for nothing. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So now what's next for you? Um, Right now in my master's, it's only a one-year program. I finished up in May looking to pursue a career. Um, looking to do an internship this what you, spring in mm-hmm. IT audit and then probably looking in August or summertime to get a full-time position in enterprise architecture, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and then after that, probably two years, three years experience of working in the IT sector and then pursue law school after that. Up. Yeah. So you're going to go to law school yeah, at some point. Definitely. That's on the roadmap. Definitely, definitely. Good it's, stuff. It's on the road. Well, congratulations for all your success. Oh, thank you. Well, Perry, you must be proud. Very proud. I forgot that you were thinking about going to law school. Are there too many lawyers in this I world? Know, you tell me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm you, not going to answer that. You couldn't handle it. You were like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to have to. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, to teach. No, they're great. These are among the stars at Robinson College of Business. Um, there's just so many exciting things going on here all across campus. We have the entrepreneurship minor. We have the entrepreneurship major. My department, Risk Management and Insurance in Robinson, we're about to roll out, it's not approved yet, but it will soon, a legal studies minor. So we are very passionate, not just about sending people to law school. That's not our job. Our job is to get them interested in the stuff because it's very valuable for their business. And even if they don't start a business, just valuable for their personal life. Um, I just started a brand new class, created a class called Consumer Law. I saw out that I'm used to working on cases, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in the past, but there's an unmet need out there for people who don't know what to do with disputes over a hundred dollars, over a thousand dollars. So I'm teaching students how to advocate for themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, through demand letters, through small claims court. And we just started that and uh, we've created consumer monsters and uh, <laughs> it's actually very, it's been very rewarding. And then uh, the impact you're making with these students is you must be very proud. Uh, I'm looking at them and I am very proud and uh you know, this is why I love my job, um, and it doesn't feel like I have a job. Um, we just have fun. Hopefully, we learn something at the end of the day, and uh, it's just a great place to be. Well, tell us about the Georgia IP Alliance. Absolutely. Um, when people think of intellectual property, they hear Silicon Valley, Valley, oh, New York, oh, Chicago. I'm here to say that Atlanta is going to be the hub for intellectual property. We have been doing so many intellectual property ventures in this town for at least 15 years. At Georgia State, 13 years ago, I co-founded the Corporate IP Institute, which is a nationally recognized two-day IP practitioner thing right here on the Georgia State campus where people come together and collaborate. We have about 50 different IP initiatives that have been going on all the time. The Georgia IP Alliance is something that's fairly new. We took all these IP lawyers who want to do good for society, educate people, but have no uh, financial interest, just really truly giving back. And we're actually creating a model, a model ecosystem here in Georgia to replicate not just around the country, but around the world. Um, One part that we've done, I thought it would be important to have uh, the governor's office recognize IP as something important. So about seven or eight years ago, I started having – Governor Proclamations for IP Week in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then I got greedy. I'm like, I want a month. Yeah. So why not? Um, the prior governor, they gave us a month. <laughs> and as of last year, we're the only state in the country, and I think the Philippines are the only ones that have an IP month. And we have celebrations. So there is so much going on in a good social fabric way 
that IP here in Georgia. And that's important for companies and people to understand the importance of intellectual property. If you can't protect it and you can't kind of commercialize it, it's, you're, you're, it's kind of kills some of the incentive of creating it. The most valuable thing, I think business people will love to hear it, one valuable thing about intellectual property is you can make money by doing nothing. Passive income is so incredible. I'll give you an example. I recently just got a water cooler service set up in my house, and I did it through Costco, a big brand, right? right. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to get a Costco uh, label branded water cooler. Turns out they license it to somebody else, and so that that company's bringing it in. I'm wondering whether or not that company has to pay Costco for the right to be able to use right. it. Again, so Costco is leveraging its its wonderful brand name, making money by doing absolutely nothing. So if business people out there want to make money by doing nothing, protect your intellectual property, your trademarks, your copyrights, and if necessary, your patents. Good stuff. So now, um, is there a website if somebody wants to learn more about what you got going on? Uh, for me personally, perrybinder.com. That's P like Paul, E-R-R-Y, B like boy, I-N-D-E-R.com. I've got legal training stuff there, uh, but the Georgia IP Alliance, I really encourage people to go to that site to see all the people that are involved in Georgia working for IP interests. And then what's the website of that? Uh, GAIPalliance.com. Well, Perry, thank you so much for sharing your story and bringing these fine folks. It's a lot of fun being here. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on GSU ENI Radio.